This is Gareth Southgate, and this is the Three Lions Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Three Lions podcast. My name is Russell Osborne and we're back again and this time looking back at the She Believes Cup. I know it's a little bit late but uh, what with current events, I hope you don't mind. Now I did a recent episode that did look at England, the Nations League and the coronavirus. Thank you for listening to that. Since then we've since found out that the Men's Summers European Championships has been postponed and rescheduled for the summer of 2021. Now following that announcement on the 17th of March, UEFA put out a statement that detailed some of their other tournaments saying the UEFA Nations League Finals, the final tournament of the UEFA Under-21 Euro and the UEFA Women's Euro, all scheduled between June and July 2021, will be rescheduled accordingly. We'll touch on what was announced for next year's Women's Euros later, but bear in mind, things are likely to have changed by the time I've recorded and released this. So the She Believes Cup... You may remember we had our She Believes Cup preview episode a while back where we spoke with Lionesses fan Jess Cully who'd been to the previous four tournaments but unfortunately wasn't able to make it this time around. But I've been lucky that Steve Hopper, radio and TV presenter who has been out there and has agreed to chat with me. We'll catch up with him very soon stateside and we'll also speak with Maisie Threadgold, Lioness supporter, who like most of us, watched it from the comfort of our own rooms. So first up with the USA... Unfortunately, Lucy Bronze had pulled out of the squad injured before the girls had boarded the plane, bound for America. Phil Neville started with Carly Telford in goal, Leah Williamson, Alex Greenwood, Kira Walsh, Steph Horton, Millie Bright, Nikita Paris, Jill Scott, Georgia Stanway, Lauren Hemp and Ellen White. Unfortunately, the result didn't go our way as the USA ran out 2-0 winners. Christian Press and Carly Lloyd with two quick-fire goals in the second half. Now I'd like to welcome to the Three Lions podcast. We've spoken to him before and he's I'm glad to say he's back with us. He's actually in America. He's there for the She Believes Cup. Welcome along, Steve Hopper. How's it going, Russell? Very well, thank you. Yourself? I'm feeling fine. <laughs> <laughs> Three no. days out there, he's got the lingo. Not quite. I don't think they speak like that. But um, I'm actually in a Walmart at the moment. Uh, I've never been to the US before, so I'm like, I'm a proper tourist. <laughs> <laughs> You're taking it all in. I am indeed. And unfortunately, there's really not enough time to take it all in because it's a very short tournament spanned across three cities. We're talking the day after the game. Guessing you've had a, a bit of sleep. A tiny bit. Yeah, I was up very late last night. So we're five hours behind you guys here in the US at the minute. The, yeah, the kickoff was seven o'clock Eastern time out here in Orlando. Oh, it was a very difficult night. It was a very difficult game. Have you 
have you managed to watch it back or i've i've only seen the highlights um which sort of which give... did you see <laughs> were, were there saw... any well, I, I watched the BBC's three, four-minute highlights, um, and okay. they uh, they showed a couple of opportunities for Nikita Paris. Uh, I believe she had a header, which I think eventually was ruled offside. Uh, Ellen White had a had a long-distance effort, yeah. uh, and Carly Telford was very busy in goal, and yeah. then. And then the second half, in quick succession, the uh, the Americans took the lead and then doubled it. Um, and and it appears that they they were the better of the two teams. That's I think that's a fair assumption, is it? Yeah, it is. I mean, look, I'm being a bit harsh when I, when I'm saying that that there aren't any highlights. Um, <laughs> there were certainly hmm. highlights for the US side. The difficulty th- uh, of of last night was just they were miles apart in terms of quality last night on the ball. Now we have a very deep squad with a lot of very, very good players. Uh, we, we've seen that in previous tournaments. One of the difficulties is the gelling of the, of the side, and we brought in a lot of young players. That being said, we haven't actually used that many young players so far, and we didn't use that many young players last night. And one of the um, things that a lot of fans have been talking about this morning and today is the fact that Beth England didn't come on until late in the game. And many thought that she probably should have started last night because of how informed she's been. Mm. So that was surprising for a lot of fans. Also, the, the formation that Phil Neville went for was, was something that we were discussing yesterday in the media centre. We were talking about, we, we weren't sure what formation he was going to go with right up until the whistle. And we were discussing the, the pros and the cons of going with a four at the back or a three at the back. We kind of decided, and I, I certainly decided and put my pennies worth in, that a three at the back would have been something that he could have experimented with to allow an attacking front. It would have been a bit more unpredictable to go with three at the back. Yeah. And I think it was a bit too predictable for, for the US. They seemed to relish in the spaces that uh, Phil Neville's formation gave them. They found some really easy passes for much of the game. It was so fluid. I just felt that it was quite predictable. And that being said, we did have some nice spaces uh, in certain areas. You mentioned about how Carly Telford played last night. Now, she was she was very, very busy, but she was also very, very good in goal. It, it really could have been a few goals more than it was. Maybe four or five, we could have been down. We were quite lucky, actually, to escape with 2-0. The US missed a few sitters. And one person that, that performed very well last night was, uh, was Hemp. Very, Lauren Hemp, yeah, I read that. Indeed. She was she was very good. She was one of our bright sparks last night. Also, Georgia Stanway taking corners. She produced a very special corner, which was flicked up. I can't remember who, who flicked it up. But, uh, I've yeah. got a feeling that was, that was Jill Scott, I think, was right in the middle. Uh, and I think she just flicked it over the bar. Was it that one? It, it might have been that one, yeah. yeah. It was just it was just such a hard game, and I just feel that we were miles behind. Some of the media last night was suggesting that we'd actually gone backwards, and that's yeah. not always a bad thing, because I think the important thing at this stage is that sometimes you do have to go backwards to go forwards. We're on a bit of a cycle. We came to the end of the cycle at the end of the World Cup last year, where a number of the players had reached the end of their careers, and some fresh blood needed to be introduced. Uh, and that happens in every every four years essentially in international football because of the world cup when it came to uh, the women's world cup last year we were in a very different different space and it, it was essentially the end of 
uh, a number of players. A number it's kind of the end of a generation for a number of players. Uh, Karen Barsley, for instance. And look, Ellen White, as good as Ellen White is, as we know, is an incredible player. She's got incredible instincts, vision for goal. She ha- has been in the England squad for many, many years now. Three World Cups, I think it is. She's come into the latter stages of her career. And it is important that we look to the future and say, OK, who's going to be the person that's going to take on that role? Who's going to be able to, to come forward? And certainly when you look at the likes of Beth England, you know, you have to kind of say, well, she's going to be one of those attacking players that, that's going to start taking the place of the, of, of the likes of, uh, of Ellen White. We never want to say that a tournament is used for preparation for, a, for another tournament. And I know certainly the players and the, and the manager, they don't like to say, suggest that this is like a warm-up tournament. But essentially, you know, if you're going to take, you're going to take this She Believes Cup as a warm-up to prepare us for the Euros next year at home to help us try to win that, you take it all day long. Because I think you've got to, yes. You cannot deny that the Euros is a gigantic tournament. It's, you know, almost on par with a World Cup. So if this is just one of those steps back that we have to take to look at the mistakes that we're making at the moment so that we can go forward those two spaces and correct those issues and perhaps learn how to, to gel in the new players and the, and the younger players, then so be it. And I'm, as, a, as an England supporter, I'm, I'm quite happy with that. What do you think, Russell? Well, yeah, I can see where you're coming from. And it's something that uh, Rich Laverty also mentioned, that perhaps this tournament is not important that we that we win it. Uh, it's important that we uh, we come together as a team and, and, as you say, try and sort of right these wrongs in preparation for the Euros and as well, to a certain degree, um, the Olympics as well. Uh, I know of course. Phil Neville, was, was, of course, he's got one eye on that and as as do some of the players, regardless of whether they, uh, they're allowed to talk about it or not. But, yeah, I, I think you're right. This It's an opportunity to... To put some of these things into place, and uh, and I think we're quite fortunate that we've got a quick turnaround, and and the next game is not too far away. No, the exactly. I mean, that's the beauty of a tournament like this. Uh, we only have a couple of days. I say rest period. We don't really have any rest period whatsoever. Neither players, nor media, nor coaches, nor nor anybody involved in this whole situation. Um, I'm flying out tonight to New Jersey. Were there many England supporters, Linus's supporters out there at the Exploria Stadium? I could barely find a couple of dozen, to be honest. I I literally found about seven last night. (laughs) And I had a little look around. I mean, there might well have been a few more than that. But I had a look around the stadium and I spoke to a few England supporters, but they were very few and far between. The stadium, it's a 25,000-seater stadium. The way they've built it really contains the noise. And it's, it's quite intimidating to the players. So, right, you are, you are off to New Jersey and, yeah, we'll, we'll hopefully we'll, we'll speak again after the, the game against Japan. You're very welcome. Thanks, Russell. Next up were Japan, who had been beaten by Spain previously. Neville shuffled his pack, Heli Roebuck started, as did Rachel Daly, Demi Stokes, Kira Walsh, Steph Horton, Millie Bright, Georgia Stanway, Lauren Hemp, Beth England, Jordan Nobbs and Chloe Kelly. And we came away with a 1-0 win, thanks to an Ellen White strike, her fifth in the tournament's history. Well, I'm delighted to say I am once again joined by Steve Hopper, who has been following the Lionesses over in the She Believes Cup in America. Steve. Russell. Where are we speaking to you now? Five hours 
behind you guys. And this is uh, in Dallas, the city of Dallas. And it's in the southern state uh, of Texas, as, as many will know. Famous for the TV show Dallas and, uh, and Who Shot JR. If anybody saw my little video the other day, uh, my, my money is on uh, Ellen White. <laughs> yes, I saw that. Yes. Uh, so I spoke, to, um, I spoke to Jill Scott this morning. I said, I said, what do you think about this? I said, I, I reckon it was Ellen White and she thought it was a good, uh, a good idea. So she, I think she's going to go and have a word and sort of see if she can ruffle a few feathers in the camp and, and work out if she did do it or not. <laughs> some of, the, uh, some of the, the lionesses there are so young, they won't even have a clue what Dallas was. No, no, no. Jill Scott, I mean, she's been around the squad for a long time. She yes. had no idea, I don't think. I don't think she had a clue who Dallas was oh, uh, or what, what Dallas was. So I explained it to her a little bit. But she made me feel so old. Um, so <laughs> thanks for that, Jill, if you listen to this. Yeah, it's so it's a lot of them wouldn't have a clue. Well, I yeah. mean, speaking of the youngsters as well, Phil changed the team around and some of them still got their chance as well, didn't they? Yes, an interesting game. I'm, I, we were very happy over here with the squad against Japan uh, in New Jersey the other day. We were very happy, except maybe for the omission of, of Leah Williamson. Uh, she was the one that, that many of us said, OK, that's disappointing that she's not in the starting lineup. But she did come on uh, later in the game, so that was fine. But it was a very interesting turnaround. We were quite happy with the squad that a number of them got a run out, especially uh, Ellie Roebuck, who uh, who replaced Carly Telford in goal because she's been in such cracking form. She did take a little knock a little while back, so we weren't sure whether she was going to play a part in the tournament or whether. So, but it seemed to be a, a minor one, and she she had a very good game. Yeah, I think she was always going to get that opportunity, wasn't mm. she? Um, Phil Neville obviously picked his squad and and made made a point of Ellie Roebuck and and how well she'd been performing. But yeah, that that knock she took in the the WSL game just prior to uh, to taking off to to the states got a few people worried. But yeah, she came through. Nothing a good good rest and a bit of ice won't cure, and that seemed to be the the case with with Ellie Roebuck. From a viewing point of view, um, I was I was dipping in and out of it for for various reasons, but it was a hard watch. I felt um, it was it was a bit of a slog. We had our mm. chances, but it was a bit of a slog. It often is like that when you play a, a team like Japan because they're very tight at the back. They they have a set game plan, and they uh, quite a lot of the time when they play. I mean, for instance, their game plan didn't really work out too well against Spain. They were quite poor against Spain, losing 3-1. But when they played us, they, they started their game plan very, very well. And I think that for us, as supporters and media and, and everything else, we were as we were watching the game, I think we were kind of nervous and thinking, oh, this is, this is, they're not breaking them down or they're not... I mean, some of us felt that the time's coming eventually. It's just a matter of time before they do score because... We did have a number of chances, maybe five or six good chances throughout the match where we could have gone ahead. We could have had a few goals in that game uh, that just weren't converted for one reason or another. Having spoke to uh, some of the players after the game, in particular Leah, she was speaking about how that uh, she was very confident and they were all very confident to just stick to the game plan and keep going. They were very confident they were going to break them at some point. And of course they did that. And it was a huge relief because we were sat there thinking, I think this could be nil-nil. You know, at the end of the day, they got the win. So that's that's always a plus. They got the three yeah. points. 
Yeah, I mean, we saw the the famous celebration with the the glasses and the eyes. Um, yeah, she got the goal. She we capitalised on on Japan's mistake, didn't we? And that was her. I think that's her fifth. She believes goal. I think she's the top scorer in the competition in its in its entirety. Okay, that's interesting. I wasn't aware of that one. Mm. So that's a good statistic there. And um, Ellen White's has been, as you just mentioned, has been a real you know, with her trademark celebration, which is pretty iconic now, isn't it? It's a brand on its own. Yeah. And it's what we all wanted to see and it's what the fans wanted to see. Uh, and you're right, it was a it was a mistake, but there were many mistakes. Uh, we were lucky that the Japanese didn't capitalise on any of ours. You mentioned the fans there. And, mm. and after the first game where you said that there weren't so many England fans there, what was the situation in New Jersey? Was What was mm. the ground like? What was the support like? I didn't find any Japanese fans. I must have been unlucky and just missed them because I'm sure there must have been one or two out there. England fan-wise, again, there weren't that many England fans. Uh, I did manage to find a few who actually live in the US, which was nice to see. And they were genuine England fans. They weren't just there for the day. So, yeah, I caught up with a few. Good stuff. Well, uh, yeah, as you say, let's let's move on to Spain. Uh, will be the third and final game in this She Believes Cup. There will still be an opportunity for us to to win this tournament. I guess mm. if if America lose um, when they play Japan, but as we said about initially uh, after our first chat, it's not maybe all about winning it. But how do you see this going against Spain? I mean, this is going to be very tough. Yeah, you're right. Uh, it's all on the US as far as winning the competition is concerned. We can still win the tournament if if they lose, but if they get a draw or a win the US and it goes to them for this year. That being said, like you say, it is it is about development. It isn't necessarily about winning this. It's about uh, seeing what, how we can develop. And I think Spain are, Spain are a tough side. Make no doubt about it. Now, Spain are a team that we want to watch out for. If you want to put a bet on for, for Spain to win a World Cup in the very near future, I would I would put one on. Their development has come in spades over the last few years. They are determined. They are changing their own culture, the way that they look at uh, women's football out in Spain. They have come a long way. And yeah, I, I see very big things for Spain coming within the next few years. They are probably in the top five or six sides, I think, in the world right now, that we do have to watch out for the way that they can spread themselves quite easily across the pitch. They put in some very, very decent passes. Their crossing game is sublime. And technically, they are just... The one thing about Spain is their unity, gelling so well together right now. They only just lost out to the US the other day. Well, we shall uh, we shall watch with bated breath, or is that? I was just going to use that. Well, bated we'll, breath. Frisco is your destination. That's where the the game will be played. So um, yeah, enjoy that. Hopefully, we can get the. Hopefully, we can get a result. Hopefully, we can end the tournament on a uh, on a positive note, and uh, hopefully, we can speak to you after that and and get a lowdown on what it was like then. Yeah, most definitely. Then finally, Spain were up. They had narrowly gone down by a goal to nil in the USA, but they certainly showed their worth. In this last game, the Lionesses lined up as follows. Carly Telford, Rachel Daly, Alex Greenwood, Abby McManus, Leah Williamson, Millie Bright, Nikita Paris, Jill Scott, Ellen White, Jordan Nobbs and Tony Duggan. It wasn't enough though. As a late Spain goal saw them run out 1-0 winners. 
I'd like to welcome back to the Three Lions podcast. I think he's back on terra firma. He's back on home soil. Steve Hopper. Yay, Russell. I'm back in Blighty. <laughs> Good to be back. Um, yeah, I don't know, really. <laughs> <laughs> with all the... Yeah, I don't know. I don't want to use that with the C word. Um, some... Yeah, I can well imagine. Well, well, let's cast our mind back to that final game uh, in Frisco, wasn't it, Texas? The Lionesses against Spain. First half I watched, and uh, I must admit I uh, I dozed off for the second. But the first half, I thought we'd done all right. Well, the first half was great. We performed the best that we'd had in the tournament. Everything was very smooth. Spain seemed to be quite intimidated um by england actually uh, that was my take on the first half they spain were playing uh they weren't playing so well certainly not like they had against the us and japan you had built spain up for us hadn't you i had indeed they were struggling to contain england in lots of different areas of the pitch they were playing a very cautious game and they weren't playing they weren't counter-attacking and they were kind of it was like they were feeling England out the one thing that I noticed in the first half which I I mentioned to a few fans out there biggest concern was was the heat England were probably going to struggle at some stage it was about 29 30 degrees it wasn't too humid but it was very hot and Spain naturally were going to be able to deal with that a lot better than than the English Certainly, we had everything our own way in the first half, except for a goal. We had some good chances, uh, and Nikita Paris was was magical on the ball. Jill Scott really put in a shift. It just t- it all turned around in that second half. We we needed to refuel. It just yeah, we'd run out of steam, run out of puff, and Spain just took it to us. A lot of people suggested whether whether Phil Neville really had a plan B, which is often a criticism that a lot of people yeah. suggest about Phil. Often feels like he's kind of making it up as he goes along. That's a phrase that I've heard a lot. Heard that last year in the World Cup, and I've heard that in this tournament from various other media sources. I, I don't like to think that any manager kind of does that, but then they only have the, the resources that they have at their disposal. We'd like to think that there might be some more ideas and inspiration coming from his bench and those around him. I know sure. I can't off the top of my head remember who he bought in, but there was uh, a member of staff recently that he bought in to work alongside him and he mm. thought think maybe that like two heads can be better than one is is the saying um and obviously as you say he's only got the players around him but he must really be feeling the pressure i saw a uh, an interview with him after the game that particular game and, and he knows that it's not right he knows that that things need to be better i know we don't like to compare the the two games the men's and the, the women's game but let's be honest if gareth southgate was on this sort of run his head would be, if it wasn't on the chopping block, it'd pretty much be there by now, I think, wouldn't it? I think one of the big situations is th- is because the Euros are so close, we're almost a year away, providing it goes ahead as it should do, and to replace a manager who's been in control of the national side for the last tournament, for this She Believes Cup and the prior one as well, to replace him at this stage is not necessarily a wise decision. And that's not one that the, uh, the FA wants to partake in. It creates such a, a reset. It's not ideal when you only have a year to go f- from any tournament to then hit the reset button. Our squad is packed to the rafters with, with talents. We have one of the best squads in the world. There's, there's no doubt in my mind that we can still win tournaments with this, with this current crop of players. Injuries happen. I mean, the likes of Beth England, for instance, she final game against Spain, she just sort of waddled out on crutches. 
Lucy Bronze not being there. Think about what the dynamic that we have just with Lucy Bronze back into the squad with a, with a fit Beth England. What could she have done against Spain if she was on the pitch? You know, would that made it? Would that have made a difference? I, I'm not sure how anybody could suggest that our our squad isn't a world class squad. Do you agree or disagree with that? No, I, th- I think on the pitch the players are, as you say, top class, and and even with the players out injured when they come back and firing on all cylinders, we are we are a team to be feared, and and the position that we got to in the World Cup proves that. But you just wonder are they getting are they being got the best out of um as you and kind of going back to that plan b do we need to just think about changing things on the pitch when things aren't going our way and perhaps me personally i think perhaps just a reset is is a a gamble but it may just be the gamble that needs to happen from my own mm. personal point of view i don't think there's anything wrong with the players on the pitch and and this phil neville has proved that that he's a, a capable manager i'm just wondering perhaps we just may need to just twist rather than stick who would you put in any ideas I, th- I think, as as we've spoken about before, I think um, this Emma Hayes, I think, would be the um, the first choice. Jill Ellis' name has been banded about. Oh, I, d- I don't know. They're probably the more obvious of names. I don't know. There may be a uh, a name out there, a little bit underground, that people might think, oh, I didn't see that coming. But, but perhaps that needs just someone to come in with a few new, fresh ideas, mm. give them a real shake-up, and and go from there. Um, I'm as I always say. I'm I'm glad I'm not the sort of person that has to to make that decision. No, it's a very tricky tricky one to take. Um, Jill Ellis. I mean, pff, gosh, we know what she can do. Would she take the job? Possibly. Um, she wants a challenge. With her history, I wonder whether she would take it on or not. Well, she's got Eng- she's English roots, isn't she? Born in Portsmouth. Yeah, that being said, she went to America because there was no opportunities out here. I don't know. For me, if I went out into if I if I had to go to another country because there was nothing, no one was taking my role seriously enough, and I ended up emigrating to another country because of that, I wonder how I would feel towards my country in yeah. that sense. Do you know what I mean? One thing that Phil Neville, which struck with me from what he was saying, was to do with how the younger players weren't spending their time on Instagram. And that felt to me like a bit of a, a bit of a, uh, a kick in the direction of some of the old, older players or some of the more experienced players. This from um, a manager who is also on Instagram himself. Mm, that was right. the one thing that stood out. Felt like a little bit of a jibe. What he was suggesting was that the younger players were really brought something new to the squad and freshened it up in, in the way that they were... Sw- 100% dedicated to the cause. Yeah. He wasn't I don't think he was suggesting that the uh, that the that the more experienced players weren't 100% dedicated to the cause, but I didn't really like the comment that he had to make about Instagram. He was foc- he said well we've got to focus on it's not good enough. We've got to focus on the pitch. We've got to focus on on the on football. Steve, yes. Thank you uh, thank you very much for for that and thank you very much for for keeping us in touch with the the last few games as well, been much appreciated. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me on, and uh, I, I look forward to being back on the podcast with some brighter news at uh, at some point in the future. Yeah, let's do it, and uh, yeah, stay safe.
you too. Take it easy. Well, thanks to Steve Hopper there for all his input. And like I said at the very top of the show, we're going to speak to Maisie Threadgold, who has watched the uh, the tournament unfold like the rest of us from the comfort of our own living rooms. Now I'd like to welcome back to the Three Lions podcast, Maisie Threadgold, West Ham women's season ticket holder and, of course, Lionesses fan. Maisie, welcome back. Hello, it's good to be back. Oh, good to have you back. Lionesses, she believes. It's happened a, a little while ago. Um, I'm hoping you can rack your brains and, and just tell us what, what your thoughts are on, on how the Lionesses performed. And well, Obviously, I'll start with the, the USA game because that was yeah. the first game that we played. And in comparison to last year, it was the last game we played. So so from the from the offset, really, we entered this year not knowing where we stood because it was the first game of the tournament, whereas last time we knew what we had to achieve to win. Okay, um, yeah, interesting perspective, yeah. And I think for for England, the, the USA are our most competitive game, really, because mm. of the, the history and, you know, losing to them in the semi-finals of the World Cup and, and they are such a reputable team. Um, and obviously, Phil Neville released his lineup, and I think everyone was a bit surprised the lineup that he had put out for that game because it was it was quite a young lineup and obviously the USA had put out their what they thought were their best 11 but even then if you looked if you look and read the the list of substitutes and all the players that they had out there they're always going to have a strong starting 11 whoever they put out because they're, yeah, they're strong in every department aren't they yeah exactly they've they've just got magic everywhere really yeah they are. they're brilliant so were um, you anticipating a loss to start with I wasn't anticipating it I knew it would be a tough game for us and I was hoping that we would be able to pull it out of the bag you know like maybe these fresh faces will have done something in there in the camp the week before that other players might not have done before and obviously with Lucy Bronze not being there there was a bit of a shake-up in the defence so there was always that <clears throat> always that question of who was going to fill that place um, and Rachel Daly I think did that job well I was slightly concerned about Carly Telford being in goal, but actually she had an absolutely phenomenal, not just game, but in- incredible tournament. I think she played brilliantly. And I think Emma Hayes could could use that when the league starts up again because she did the country justice and she, she was really good. There were some, obviously some new players like Lauren Hemp, who was incredible she was just everywhere every time I looked at the screen she either had the ball or she was there in the in the play and I think she's a a player to to watch out for yeah she's certainly one for the future isn't she (laughs) yeah definitely gonna move on to the Japan game yes we lost out to the the states but we we still still had a chance Japan were up next weren't they yeah the Japanese game was obviously like the others it was important because that could that could have changed where we fell in the grand scheme of things. Like it was only the second game. I don't know. It was just not. wasn't very interesting, if I'm honest. Yeah, I know <laughs> because, the feeling. Uh, I could have could have come up with an infinite list of things that I would have preferred to watch than that game if I had to watch it again. Um, but, and that's no discredit to the players or anything. I just I don't know. I don't know what it was. I'm not sure what happened. I mean, at the end of the day, we, we did get a win out of it. Ellen White got the goal, didn't she? But as you say, it, it was a game that was a bit hard on the eyes, I think. Yeah, it was just a bit lacklustre. Like, we didn't... I feel like England felt a little bit defeated because 
they'd gone in and they'd lost that first game and they knew that game was quite important and think that the USA are strong in comparison to Spain and to Japan. But actually, I think Spain proved that wrong from how long they held them off of scoring. Mm. Spain definitely proved themselves. But um, yeah, most importantly, we did win. So Yeah, and and you'd think that probably would have put the confidence in them going into that Spain game and that we we went into the first half of the Spain game. We, we performed really well. Yeah, the first half was fantastic. We held them off. I think we did a, a great job and we were playing good football. But again, I'm not sure what it was. I just, the whole tournament you know, after that, that first game, obviously all the games are so close together that they don't have much time to recover and to work on the things that maybe need improving. And I think that definitely was a, a problem for us as a team. And what with like Bethany England entering the uh, the stadium for that last game in a in a boot and crutches, you know, we had quite a lot of players that had strains and injuries. So that they were under a lot of pressure. Yeah. Because I think they knew that they didn't have many substitutes and the subs that they did have weren't weren't as experienced as such. Like Grace Fisk, for example, from West Ham Ladies uh, first senior England call-up and I think she, they would have definitely felt pressure if if they got to a point where Phil Neville was putting her on she was making her debut with these players and do you know what I mean it's, yeah it would have been a high pressure situation especially with the injuries that England acquired along the way yeah um, I mean you mentioned the word pressure there and and pressure is, is sort of been turned up on Phil Neville where where do you think he stands within this whole the whole England setup. Is it what's your opinion on Phil? For a start, I would like to make a point that he he was nicely suited and booted for the USA game. And for the other two games he rocked up in his England tracksuit. And I don't know if that's because he felt the other two games were not as important or I'm not sure, but I didn't like that attitude towards it. I feel like just the the way you dress shows how important something is to you. Yeah. Um, and I feel like he, he definitely dressed to impress on that first game and then didn't really bother. It was like he, he was past the point for the other games. Obviously, I question some of his decisions, as a lot of people do. And as a manager, I'm not sure what he's doing behind closed doors that is different because there are players that play in the Super League that play completely differently when they're playing for England. You've got players like Leah Williamson, Millie Bright and and Bethany England to a certain extent who completely dominate the pitch when they're playing for their their clubs like Arsenal and Chelsea. Um and actually when they're playing for England, it's like they're not they haven't got the not the confidence, but they they just seem like different players on the pitch. And I'm not sure if that is because they are playing for England and they're they're representing their country, or if that's something that is directly down to Phil Neville and what he's expecting of them or what he's telling them to do. Yeah. It's a tough call to make, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Well, they are they are due to get back together come April for a uh, a, a, meet, a training session. I don't believe that there's going to be it. Well, there's highly unlikely there'll be any sort of games. Um, and, and who knows when the next set of Lionesses fixtures will be revealed. Um, but maybe we can speak again at some stage. Yeah, definitely. That'd be wonderful. And I believe that you've got some news regarding yourselves and West Ham ladies on the supporters' side. Yeah, West Ham ladies are just 
beginning of the year announced that they were starting up a women's supporters board. So they've got one for the men's. Um, and they're the first team in the WSL to be starting a women's supporters board. So I'll be representing the under-25s category on that board, putting forward ideas and suggestions, um, talking about what can make the club better, what can engage people, loads of different things. So hopefully that will be a starting point for the WSL as a whole to get supporters involved and improve the publicity of women's football. Exciting times. So well done on, on that. Thank you. And yeah, maybe next time we speak, you can uh, let us know how that's how that's progressed along. Hopefully, I'll have a lot more information by the next time we talk. That'd be that'd be good to uh, good to hear a little bit about that, um, Macy. Thank you very much um, for your time. You you're on Twitter and, and Instagram, aren't you? Yeah, Macy TS underscore. I think it is. I will. Uh, I will make sure I link to that on the. Uh, on the Three Lions podcast, Facebook and Twitter and, and all the various other social media. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Macy, thank you very much. And uh, yeah, stay safe. You too. Speak soon. Now, as I mentioned, the Women's European Championships are scheduled to be held here in England next year in 2021. But with the rescheduling of the men's Euros, I personally can't see how UEFA can combine two large senior tournaments in a year in one country. I appreciate that this is an incredible situation to be in, and I'm sure they're not making these decisions lightly, but I fear the women's tournament will get moved, which I don't think gives the women's game the support it deserves. Admittedly, though, the men's tournament has been in the planning since 2012 when Michelle Platini announced it, whilst the women's was awarded to us in December 2018. If it does get changed, hopefully the venues won't. And at present, whilst we don't know any of the competing nations, UEFA have since announced where the Lionesses will be playing and a potential pathway to the final in terms of venues. It's very much a north-south divide with regards to the 10 stadiums. In the north, there are two Manchester stadiums, Old Trafford, home of Manchester United, and Manchester City's Academy Stadium. Sheffield United's Bramall Lane, Rotherham's New York Stadium, and in the Wigan area, the Lee Sports Village. Whilst in the south, Stadium MK, Milton Keynes, the new Brentford Community Stadium, Southampton's St Mary's, Brighton's Amex and Wembley Stadium, which will host the final. Now the Lionesses already know that they will start their campaign off in Group A at Old Trafford before moving on to the south coast to Brighton and then St Mary's. Now if they progress as group winners, then the pathway to the final is thus a quarter-final back in Brighton and a semi-final at Bramall Lane. And if they finish as runners-up in the group, then the quarter-final will be at Brentford with the semi-final at Milton Keynes. And as I mentioned, Wembley will host the final on the 1st of August 2021. And I think you can head to the FA's website and register your interest for tickets. Uh, and something else that I've done, you can register to be a volunteer for various games. That could be quite something, could be quite interesting to see how they, uh, how a tournament ticks along. But obviously it's all subject to change. 
Thank you for listening and indeed thank you to both Steve Hopper and Maisie Threadgold and you can find them both on social media at Steve Hopper TV and at Maisie TS underscore on Twitter. Sorry it's taken a while to get this one out but I hope it's given you a feel of the She Believes Cup and women's football too. Also, don't forget you can see all previous England women's results over at englandlionesses.com. A little ongoing project we have there with the guys at England Football Online. That's all from me. If you want to follow the show on Twitter, you can do at 3 Lions Podcast, And we're also on Facebook and Instagram. Obviously, there's going to be no Italy or Denmark preview. But I promise to release the next in our series of England at the Euros very soon. Stay subscribed and you won't miss it. And also, I'd just like to say, if you yourself feel a little under the weather, look after yourself, follow the guidelines, and I wish you a speedy recovery. Until then, stay safe. Cheers. <laughs>